We are concluding our series entitled Equipped, and there are many lessons uh, learned from Jesus' teachings, but what we've been focusing on are the lessons learned from what Jesus did, where we've been looking at stories at how Jesus equipped his disciples. Jesus wanted to instill values and character traits and instincts and methods, and he instilled some of those things through experiences, not just what he taught. Uh, When Jesus fed the 5,000, he instilled in his disciples that when God is at work, we need to get ready to work. Uh, When Jesus healed the man with leprosy, he instilled the instinct of encountering the ugliness of life. Last week, Brett shared that when uh, Jesus sent the 12 out two by two to go preach, he instilled in them the value of relying on God in responding to his call. And in these experiences, Jesus was equipping them for the future. And one of our directives here at TFRC is to be future-focused, where we continually adapt to engage every generation. Uh, Jesus continues to give us experiences to equip us for the future. You know, we can all look back at our lives and see how our pasts have prepared us for the present. So it makes sense that things happening to us now are preparing us for the future. We are revisiting some of these experiences from the Gospels to look for that value or character trait or instinct or method that Jesus was instilling in those first disciples, and we want to be challenged to adopt them for ourselves, believing that they will equip us for whatever God has for us next. Uh, In today's story, Jesus makes some of his disciples climb a mountain with him. Uh, The scripture for this morning is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out, and you can turn to Matthew 17 in your Bibles, or you can just look it up on your phones. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Um, This is one of those stories that captures the imagination. It's a story, or it's the story, of the transfiguration, where Jesus' appearance is transformed or transfigured um, and gives Peter, James, and John an insight into Jesus' true identity. And in this experience, they would learn who is really in charge. Our scripture reader for this morning is John Lord. So John, if you can make your way up to the podium. And as he does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Um, We read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is the Word of God. And so, John, whenever you're ready, please read from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen 
until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. John, thank you very much. You may be seated. Um, Over the years, I've done a couple of biblical study trips, going to the locations of where different Bible stories took place. Um, One such study trip I took followed in the footsteps of the disciples, and it took us to uh, Turkey, which is where you will find the seven churches that are listed in the book of Revelation. And we went to five of those seven cities where those churches were located. And the first city we went to was the ruins of Sardis. Um, This is a picture of some of those ruins and the building you see that kind of stands out and the field that's in front of it. That was all part of um, what was called a gymnasium. And a gymnasium was basically a school, for lack of a better way of explaining it. And then next to the gymnasium right here is a Jewish synagogue. And then next to that, this was a main road. You really can't tell that now. And along the road, there were all sorts of shops uh, that were set up for people traveling by. Um, And we spent the whole day in Sardis. And our leader, Ray, was a magnificent teacher. I took pages and pages of notes just about the ancient city of Sardis. Um, And one thing we learned about Sardis was uh, it had something called an Acropolis. An Acropolis of an ancient city was usually found in an elevated place. It was located in a strategic position to defend against attack. And the king of the city would have his palace in the Acropolis. Uh, And we have some pictures of that. On the left, you see on top of a mountain there, some ruins uh, of the walls there of the Acropolis. Um, Due to earthquakes, there have been lots of earthquakes in that part of the world. And the remains of the Acropolis have been mostly destroyed, but you can still see some of the walls there. Now, late in the afternoon, we were at the remains of the picture that's on the bottom right, which is an old pagan temple. And our leader, Ray, points to the top of the mountain that you see in the background in that bottom right picture. Well, that's where the Acropolis was. It was on the top of that mountain. And Ray says late in the afternoon, you know, it would be a shame to come all this way and not go to the remains of the Acropolis. So we took a hike up to that mountain so we could see the walls that are the remains of the Acropolis. Um, We hike all the way up to the top, and then we walk all the way back down to get on the bus, and I wondered all the way up, why do we have to walk up here? These are just walls. What are we doing here? Now, on that trip, this was like the first city we stopped in. On that trip, it became evident that we would always be walking up some kind of hill or mountain. In fact, it got to the point that whenever we reached the destination at the beginning of the day, I would look around outside the window of the bus, and I would identify the highest hill or mountain because I knew by the end of the day, we were going to be up there. Um, Ray would eventually tell us his reasoning for making those hikes. Um, But it was still that question that was always in front of us. Why do we have to climb up this mountain? What's the point of this whole experience? Well, Jesus takes Peter and James and John for a climb up a mountain to show them who is really in charge. And again, the first question I have is, why do you have to climb the mountain? To do that, the transfiguration, the story that we just read, it could have occurred anywhere. They didn't have to climb the mountain for the transfiguration to take place. The transfiguration could happen on the beach. Transfiguration could happen in a field. Could have happened in someone's home. 
Why do you need to climb the mountain? As it says, going back to the passage, verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jumping down to verse 3, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Jesus led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, I don't know how long it would have taken them, but if it's a high mountain, I doubt it was like a half hour. It was probably closer to a half day or a full day than a 30-minute hike. It would have taken them a while to get up there. And after they get up there, amazing things start to happen, one of them being that Moses and Elijah show up. And Moses and Elijah, they are two of the superheroes of the Old Testament. Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, the ten plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, destroying the Egyptian army, which was the greatest army in the world at the time. And then about 600 years later, Elijah was the prophet who called God's people back to God during a great time of corruption in Israel. And Elijah did things like he made it stop raining in the entire land for three and a half years. Elijah, who would raise the dead. Elijah, who on Mount Carmel would defeat over 400 prophets of Baal when fire came down from heaven. To see Moses and Elijah together, well, that's a get out your phone, take a selfie moment. It's amazing. Now, there are two things that both Moses and Elijah have in common. Even though they were 600 years apart, there are two things they have in common. One is they both had significant meetings with God on a mountain. And two, they both were associated with the coming of the Messiah. Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. You can read about one such meeting in Exodus 24. Interestingly enough, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, he takes three companions with him. Now, Mount Sinai is where God would establish his covenant with the Israelites. It's where Moses received the Ten Commandments and that kind of stuff. So Moses meets with God on a mountain, and Moses is associated with the Messiah. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise you will raise for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites just before his death. And he tells them that God is going to raise up a prophet like him. And the understanding is that Moses is referring to the Messiah. And he uses language that should sound similar to us this morning. You must listen to him. You can read about Elijah's encounter with God in 1 Kings 19. Elijah is discouraged because even after his great victory on Mount Carmel, nothing in Israel has really seemed to change. And so he flees for his life, and he actually leaves Israel and ends up on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, which is simply another name for Mount Sinai, the same mountain that 600 years earlier Moses met with God. And God comes to Elijah in a whisper and gives him a new calling to restore the Israelites back to God. And Elijah 
is associated with the Messiah because it was understood that Elijah would return before the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus would explain that John the Baptist was the second coming of Elijah. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain because, like Moses and Elijah, that's where you go to meet with God. And Peter, James, and John need to learn who they are following, and they need to learn who is really in charge. And they go up the mountain, and there they have this amazing moment. Going to verse 2 in chapter 17. There Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Going down to verse 5. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. The moment is Jesus being transfigured before them. And it starts, this transfiguration starts with what they see. Jesus' face shines like the sun. His clothes become as white as light. It sounds, if you're familiar with Revelation, it sounds a lot like the vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation. There is much more to Jesus than they realize. They get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into Jesus' identity. They see the visible glory of God. And then a bright cloud covers them. A cloud is a sign of God's presence, like the cloud that led the Israelites in the desert or like the cloud of God's glory that filled first the tabernacle and then the temple after both of them were dedicated by the Israelites. And this cloud doesn't just come near them, the cloud covers them. I think we've all had times where we have found ourselves, you know, in foggy weather, in dense, thick fog. Uh, We probably have all found ourselves in times where it's just beginning to get foggy, and you can literally see the fog coming towards you from a distance as it slowly approaches. Um, I actually love the fog, as long as I'm not driving. I love the fog. I think it's kind of cool. Well, this cloud cover comes and covers them like a thick fog. So from Jesus to the cloud, it's all astonishing what they see. And then it's all astonishing what they hear. The cloud speaks. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And remember the words of Moses. God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. You must listen to him. And it's at the point when they hear the cloud speak, it's at that point, the passage says, they become terrified and they fall face down to the ground, which is what you do when the one who's in charge shows up. So they go up to the mountain. There they have an amazing moment. And then Jesus gives them a little bit of what I would call a perplexing message. Verses 7 to 9 from the passage. Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen 
until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So Jesus reassures them, get up, don't be afraid. They look around, the cloud is gone, Jesus is back to normal looking, Moses and Elijah are no longer there, and they start going back down the mountain. Now, again, going up the mountain, I've been like, why do we have to go up the mountain? This doesn't make any sense. Coming down the mountain, it would have been totally different. It would have been like, what just happened? Uh, that was awesome. And then, you know, I'd been pelting Jesus with all sorts of questions. I would have been replaying the whole thing with the others. Jesus' face, it was like as bright as the sun. How crazy was that? Moses and Elijah was there. How crazy was that? And then the cloud spoke. How crazy was that? And Jesus says, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Why not? Well, some quick background. About a week before they climbed up the mountain, Peter made his famous confession that some of you are aware of, of Jesus being the Christ. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then after Peter makes that confession, Jesus starts talking about his death. And Peter doesn't like that. And so the scripture says, Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus has to put Peter in his place. Get behind me, Satan, he says. And then Jesus continues talking about losing one's life. And then, six days later, they go up the mountain. Transfiguration happens. Moses and Elijah show up, the cloud. And then Jesus, as they're going back down, says, don't talk about this until I've been raised from the dead. In other words, to paraphrase a little bit, Jesus says, I'm going to die, and when I die, don't forget what you have seen. And when you see me suffering, remember what you saw. It is the Son of God who is suffering. And when I die, it is the Son of God who dies. And you have gotten a brief glimpse behind the scenes of who I am. But when I come back from the dead you will completely understand who I am. Don't talk about this now, but don't forget about it either. Talk about it when everything is finished. So they go up the mountain. They have an amazing moment. Jesus tells them, don't say anything yet, but don't forget either. And that moment on that mountain becomes foundational, foundational. For it is at that moment that they begin to understand what following Jesus really is about and what you are doing when you are following Jesus. See, when we follow Jesus, we're not following some philosophy or concept. We are following the creator. And when we follow Jesus, we are not in some political movement. We are following the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we follow Jesus, we are not following a social justice warrior. We are following the Savior of the world. And one of those three who went up the mountain, who experienced that amazing moment, who was told not for, to forget, was the Apostle John. And about 60 years, 60 years, after John came down that mountain, he wrote this. 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. That which was from the beginning 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Jesus, John reminds us our fellowship, our fellowship, is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, the word of life, they saw it, they heard it, and the reality of the gospel, the reality of the gospel is that the word of life keeps coming to us. Christ still comes to us in his glory, not the visible glory like Peter, James, and John saw, but in glory nonetheless. Christ pointed to his death and resurrection because... That is where you see his glory at its best. The glory of Christ's mercy and grace and the epitome of his mercy and grace is the cross and the empty tomb. And Christ, the word of life, keeps coming to us. He keeps coming to us in his mercy and grace. I mentioned that I've done a couple of Bible study trips. The first one I ever did was to Israel. And I remember one place that we stayed at was near the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did a lot of his earthly ministry. And we were there for a couple days and we stayed at the same place. Um, and one night, I was walking through the lobby of the place where we were staying and there was music playing. And the song that was playing, again, I still can't get over this, on this staying near the Sea of Galilee, not far from Jesus did his ministry. And what song is playing in the lobby of the place we're staying at? It was my favorite song as a kid. Now, I'm not gonna share what song it was. Okay, I'll share what song it was. It's fine. My favorite song as a kid was The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. <laughs> that was my favorite song like when I was six years old, okay? Now, right now, my favorite song is Levitating by Dua Lipa. Don't judge me too badly for that. My all-time favorite song is American Pie, but when I was a kid, it was Charlie Daniels. On this study trip, I was staying on the Sea of Galilee, and the devil went down to Georgia is playing in the lobby. And it took me back to when I was six years old. I stopped. I was walking, I heard stuff, and I stopped, and I listened to the whole thing. There was no one else in the lobby, no one else anywhere near. Now, I was 36 years old, when I heard it in the lobby. And it got me thinking, how in the world did I go from being a six-year-old kid to a pastor on a study tour in Israel? And then it struck me, God had been leading me every step of the way. It was a little bit of a life flashing before my eyes kind of moment where I just started to reflect on all the ways as I look back 
how God intervened here and here and here. And it was always mercy and grace, mercy and grace. And most of the time when God's mercy and grace came to me, I wasn't even aware of it. But looking back, I could see it clearly. Jesus Christ, the word of life, has come to me throughout my life over and over and over again in different ways and in different times, offering me his never-ending mercy and grace. Now think about your life. I bet if you look back, you can identify times when Christ has come to you in ways you probably didn't even recognize. In different ways, he offered you his mercy and grace and has taken you through things that you never even would have considered when you were a kid. The reality of the gospel is that the word of life, Jesus Christ, keeps coming to us. Christ still comes to us in all of his glory. Not the visible glory, again, like Peter, James, and John saw, but the glory of Christ's mercy and grace. And the epitome of his mercy and grace is the cross and the empty tomb. Christ, the word of life, he keeps coming to us. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do believe and declare that you are the son of the living God. You are the savior of the world. And Lord, we thank you for all the times that we recognize that you've come to us in your mercy and grace and for all the times that we don't. Lord, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear your glory that comes in your grace and mercy even today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.